everybody and welcome along to episode 9 of Arsehole Animals with Alice. I'm your host, Alice Vasalo, and today we're discussing an animal that can be described with two notes. Durnum. Durnum, Durnum. Today we're talking about sharks. I'll give you a quick rundown of this species and then we'll bring on our guest. Sharks are a type of fish known as elasmobranchs a subclass that also includes rays, skates and sawfish, all of which can be categorised by having skeletons made of cartilage and large livers filled with oil to provide buoyancy. Sharks are ancient beings that are believed to be around 450 million years old, older than trees and even God himself. And they remain largely unchanged over these millions of years, simply because they haven't needed to evolve. They're just great at being sharks. They have a keen sense of smell. However, perhaps their strongest sense is their electroreception. Using electroreceptors in their body, called the ampullae of Lorenzini, no, I'm not making that up, sharks can detect the electric fields that all animals produce, making them excellent at hunting their prey. Most sharks live around 20 to 30 years, but there are exceptions to this. The Greenland shark, for example, can live up to 400 years. One Greenland shark found recently was estimated to be at least 272 years old, making it the longest lived vertebrate ever known. That's older than the founding of America. I don't need to tell you that really the only thing hurting sharks in the water is us. Bycatching, pollution, habitat and prey loss, demand for their fins for a ridiculous soup, or demand for their liver oil to put in our cosmetics. We suck. You guys know that. What we're going to talk about today is why you shouldn't be afraid of sharks when you're in the water. So consider this episode the first step in your shark fear recovery program. You're welcome. So now that you're all clued up about sharks, let's bring on our guest. Brilliant. And now it's time for me to introduce my amazing guest. She's a zoologist, wildlife TV presenter, and the author of an Atlas of Endangered Species, which is coming out May 11th. The wonderful Megan McCubbin is here. Megan, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Hello, thank you for having me on. It's so exciting. First of all, I'm excited to talk about your book that comes out. I mean, by the time people listen to this, it'll be out. People will have bought copies and will be probably reading them at the time of listening to this podcast, I hope. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So if you haven't, go down to the nearest shop and buy it. But we are talking sharks today, which is just the best representation of what people think of with an asshole animal, right? Where they think we do not like sharks and we're here to change some minds today, right? We're, we're going to change the minds of people who are afraid of sharks. This is Absolutely. I, you know, I think ultimately if you can change the reputation of an animal, then you can change the world for that animal. Yes. Um, so, you know, for me, I'm always a big fan of the underdog. I really like championing species that people perhaps don't understand and therefore fear. Yeah. Um, because I think actually you can make a real big difference for those species doing that. And um, I've got a real 
love and soft spot for sharks so uh always champion them yeah no pressure on us for the next like hour but you know the whole entire shark species are dependent on us changing everybody's minds (laughs) absolutely like they'll be saved after this hour that's it that's it all it takes (laughs) is an hour no i think this is a really really interesting topic actually because i feel like like spiders sharks are sort of like a global fear right you know you think most people have this sort of fear of going in the water and, you know, the first thing they think of is, is there a shark around, you know, so it's interesting. I want to you know, try and sort of ease people's minds a little bit today and make people go loving going back in the water again without being so scared. What do you think? Well, I think there's a really interesting area with that because we aren't biologically programmed to fear sharks. We're mm. a terrestrial animal. Like yeah. We are not meant to fear an ocean predator because that's simply not our environment so it's not something that we're born with we're not born with a fear of sharks we learn it and we learn it largely based because of fear-mongering in the media yeah absolutely Um, so like imagine like for example when you're a kid and you learn about the monster under your bed yeah the monster's never there you never really see it most people don't actually swim with sharks you're very lucky if you do and I do recommend going out and doing it (laughs) but like it's like the monster under your bed you don't know it you don't understand it therefore your imagination can go wild and then when that's spurred on by the media you generate this like ball of like terror and you don't know what it is and it's this fear of the unknown um and that's kind of what we've got with sharks really is we've got this irrational fear that we've learned which is kind of sped up by the way that the media portray them and have done for years that's it i mean the media i've discussed this in previous episodes will obviously latch on to a big story right they'll latch on to something that is um that you know it grabs makes people buy papers that sells that's you know and if it's you know shark attack at this beach you know people people they you know there's there's money to be made from fear isn't there really like and and unusual circumstances like a shark attack which aren't that common aren't that common at all across the world like they are you know they're not a it's not impossible that you'll get um hassled by a shark but it is very 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 unlikely there's a list of all of the things that are more likely to happen than you are to be attacked let alone killed by a shark but and yeah culture is so bad for it as well right i mean we have all of these jaws movies we have sharknado you know which is i suppose that's more comedy than you know <laughs> than fear-mongering but help. <laughs> yeah that's it. it probably doesn't help as bad as that movie is compared to something like jaws but it's it's sort of ingrained yeah ingrained in our pop culture in our society nowadays to to sort of fear sharks which is which is absolutely crazy yeah. but um, i'll take it because you did mention that um that sharks are actually in your uh, in your book coming out on may 11th i'll plug it again so <laughs> i mean yeah what you can can you tell us a bit about that can you give a sneak peek or you just you want people to just discover it for themselves no sure um so the book is as you might have guessed by the title all about about 20 well 19 technically endangered species <laughs> where there are 20 chapters yeah um, and it's all about species on the brink of extinction and the rangers and scientists who are trying to save them so it's their voices their stories that i've kind of compiled um and it's you know, highlighting some, in some cases, some Jurassic Park science, which kind of make you question, like, okay, should we be doing that just because we can, should yeah. we? Um, and then some more community conservation. Um, and then for the case of the hammerhead shark, which is featured in the book, um, it's all about kind of recreational fishing and shark tourism, which done in the wrong way can actually be pretty bad. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so it's, it's a mixture of, all, you know, it's, chats with experts chats with people who know a lot more about these species than I do um so we kind of we kind of learn together I suppose about these animals and what it takes to really save them and pull them back 
that's an amazing that must have been amazing diving into 19 species and just being like i want to learn as much as i can about this and especially Mm. the hammerhead shark is just a stunning animal they're so iconic aren't they they're just these lovely lovely shapes and it's it's um it's must been so interesting to learn a bit more about them and actually speak to people who see them every day and know their behavior and find out what we can do what we can do to help because actually maybe we can discuss that a little bit later on in the shout outs and psa section about shark tourism because that's a really good one now that covid is um no longer as much of a problem as it is in terms of people are traveling again and things like that and especially you're going over to things like south africa or whatever it is where there's probably a bit more shark tourism it's probably good to be aware of these sorts of things right yeah absolutely with any tourism there's ways to do it well and there's ways to do it bad um but it's just knowing kind of um the impacts of of that and how to spot actually what might not be the most ethical tour facility yeah um you know, so, you know, I always encourage people to get in the water with sharks if you get the opportunity. But um, yeah, it, it, there's a right way of doing it. That's amazing. I cannot wait to pick that back up. So, I mean, I'll start by asking um, the question that I ask all of my guests that come on the podcast, which is what animal do you think of when you hear the word arsehole? Honestly, humans. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> humans are proper arseholes a lot of the time. You know, it's so funny, and I love I love talking to uh, to different people on this. But I've spoken to you know to vets, to zookeepers, to to entomologists, to all of this stuff, and humans is like the one that they're like uh, humans. <laughs> humans yeah, assholes. Seriously, I mean, like, what are we doing? <laughs> like, like, just... get it together, guys. <laughs> yeah, like, what, what on earth are we doing? Like, what are we playing at at the minute? I don't, I don't, I don't get humans a lot of the time. Um, but yeah, I mean, our, our actions just it it doesn't it doesn't fit like what we're doing doesn't fit with what we know like we're still kind of our behavior is stuck in the past and our mentality has moved on and what we understand about the world has moved on and yet we're incapable of change until it's too late and I just yeah I mean it's infuriating it's proper infuriating so really you know we're we're the animal assholes top spot (laughs) yeah exactly I mean almost definitely right I mean um humans are capable of, of a level of assholery that animals just aren't as much as we you know as much as animals can exhibit behaviors that we might think might be asshole behavior humans are just next level so i think that i think that's a decent answer actually i think, I think it's, it's so the only answer. <laughs> yeah it's the only answer really but um yeah i think i think you're completely right we are um yeah we are a bunch of assholes sometimes aren't we not everybody listening of course everybody yeah. listening is amazing <laughs> and yeah everyone listening is lovely I mean it's it, you know individual people are lovely and humanity is a beautiful wonderful thing yeah um, you know however when we just kind of stick our heads in the sand and we claim you know ignorance is bliss then like we get nowhere we're, we're the only species known in in well, the earth's history to being to destroy to actively destroy our own home whilst we know about it yeah yeah you know and so that it doesn't make sense like we just don't we know better but we're not learning (laughs) i know it's um i mean change is a scary thing isn't it and we we are willfully ignorant a lot of the time to to science to people who come in with newer better ideas and we're afraid of change and it's um it's all of these things that make us a detestable species who would want to be a human right who would want to be a human who would want to be a human when you could be like an octopus i don't know i was gonna say like what animal what animal would you be if you could be an animal i think an octopus oh, is a good idea that's 100 octopus because yeah. and there is a real, real reason for that i reckon um obviously you'd want to be an intelligent life form because you'd yeah. want to understand mm. the environment that you're in octopus are one of the most intelligent creatures they're yeah. a separate they're like mega mega smart oh yeah 
Um, so, you know, they don't live very long, but that's okay. You know, I, I'd want to be an ocean animal. I've experienced life as a terrestrial mammal. I'd want to be an, you know, an ocean cephalopod, because why not? I want to know what it feels like to change the color of my skin and change its texture yeah. and to be able to like squeeze into gaps, um, you know, yeah. much smaller than my body. As long as my, you know, my beak, my little mouth can fit through. That's I love, I love that you had a, an answer. We hadn't discussed this before. You had an answer and you're like, here's the evidence why. Like, oh. I've lived my life on the land. Like, let's let's try the sea. <laughs> let's try yeah. the sea. And let's be smart in the sea. I mean, exactly. I've given that question a lot of thought previously. So um, uh, I see. I see. So I did, you know, because that's also with the, the question, isn't it? It's like, oh, what animal would you be? Definitely not to <laughs> But in any case, we have massively diverted off that topic here. So we are saying humans as assholes. I think that's a, a fair enough statement. We even came here to talk about sharks today, Megan. So let's uh, let's pivot mm-hmm. back to sharks. So what is what is your experience with sharks? Are you happy to tell us a little bit about what you've experienced with sharks over the years? Yeah, of course. So um, I was very much aware that I wanted to get as much practical experience as possible when I was doing my degree or even before I started my degree. Um, and I was really interested in predators. Ever since I was younger, I wanted to understand how predators shape the environment. So I used to have like a praying mantis in my bedroom and I used oh, to cool. like watch it eat because I used to think that was the coolest thing, the coolest bit of behavior. Yeah. Um, so I was just always really interested by like things that eat things yeah. and how, how it just like actually looks after the environment and keeps it healthy. Um, and then when I was 12, I started, you know, volunteering at the, the Wild Heart Sanctuary on the Isle of Wight where there are lots of big cats and I got to know big cats and that's great. Um, I went out and I volunteered in China and I worked with bears and that was really cool. Holy crap, that's awesome. Yeah, it was really good. It was um, an eye-opening experience. It was um, you know, bears that were trapped in the um, bear bar farming industry, oh, yeah. rehabilitation centre. Yeah. Um, so that was very eye-opening. And then I kind of got home and I was like, actually, there's one predator that I haven't worked with. And um, one environment that I haven't worked with because... Yeah. Um, you know, the only person that would take me swimming was my dad. And we we never really went swimming in the sea. We always went to Southampton indoor flumes and oh. stuff. So I never really got much. Yeah, it was, it was great as a kid. But I never really got to, like, go into the sea very much. Because my mom's petrified of it. Like, anything, yeah. like, speed or anything that grazes her leg in the water. She's very much got that fear of the ocean. Um, so I never, I never really explored it. And then, um, I thought, right now I've got to, I've got, I really want to work with the ultimate predator of the ocean. I need to understand more about marine biology. I need to, you know, I need to widen my, my kind of area of interest. Um, so I did some research and I found Bimini Biological Shark Lab, which is in the Bahamas. Yes. Um, and I, and I applied for their volunteer program. And then next thing I know, I was out there volunteering for a month with sharks and um I got to work with loads of different species I came back and then I think the next summer I applied again and went back out for a few more months amazing <laughs> and I got my, back my, my parents were like oh do you have a nice time holidaying in the Bahamas I was like first of all it's really hard work like yeah. the, it's a lot that goes into working in a, a science research station and you're sleeping in these bunk beds and you know it's very kind of close living quarters and you're yeah. getting people from all over the world who have come to volunteer there um, and you get to, you know, work in that ocean ecosystem, understand more about a mangrove habitat, because Bimini's a really important mangrove island just off the Gulf Stream. Um, yeah, so that's where I, I saw my first shark out there. And uh, that's where I became ever so slightly obsessed. And um, I've since done a program for CBBC called Planet Defenders, where my episode was all about sharks in the UK. Um, and basically any chance I get to talk about sharks or, or do anything with sharks, I'm, I'm the first one in the water, literally. <laughs> so. I love that. And I'm so happy that you suggested sharks today because it's it's just they're such a misunderstood species and they're stunning. They're, there's something so fascinating and so 
dangerous but beautiful about sharks and i think it's this today is going to be a really good chance to explore some of their behavior and uh, and break down some of those myths do you have one you have a most memorable experience with a shark over the years Probably the first time I ever saw one. Um, I, it was my first night in Bimini and it was about, I think I think I was, my alarm was set for about two in the morning oh. because I, like, I'd just gone to bed, jet lagged from flying in from the UK and the team had gone out the day before to set these long lines and long lines are used by Bimini with shark safe hooks, which is slightly different shape, which means it's easier to get it out of the mouth. Yeah. And causes a lot less damage to the sharks themselves. Um, but it's a way of monitoring the population and understanding how they're doing. Um, so every month they would set out four different long lines in different places around around the um, the island. And they're quite small long lines and not many hooks, about, you know, 10 hooks, 10 or 12 hooks per right. long line. And anyway, so we, we would check it every two hours because you do if a shark is on the line, you don't want it to be on there for very long because yeah. it's quite stressful so we went and checked every two hours and my shift as the newbie was 2 a.m so I set my alarm I'd like sneak down from my bunk bed I'd got my like head torch and my towel and everything like ready to go um by the door the, the night before um snuck out and tried not to wake up anyone else made my way down to the, to the, to the boats and, and we got on and um yeah so it's about four or five of us went out to check the long lines and we got to the first one um, and kind of looking along the long line, there was nothing there. And then we got to the end of the fourth, and one of the boys with the hook below was slightly submerged, which means that there's a shark on the bottom because it's weighing it down. Ooh, yeah. So we kind of shine the torches. It's obviously pitch black, but we can just see this dark shadow. So everyone, like, I'm not trained at this point. I haven't gone through, like, learning about what to do when we got a shark. I don't, I wasn't sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the very experienced and skilled team around me obviously did, and they sprung into action. And we got the shark up by the side of the uh, side of the boat. And it was a female tiger shark. One of the um, the more experienced team members that like, hold a dorsal fin. So I held the dorsal fin, and they started taking biological measurements. So you, you want to know how long the dorsal fin is, the body size, the length. You want to take a DNA and isotope sample from the dorsal fin. And I was there like, holding the shark fin, like, oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> I had a tiger shark oh. on my hand. And, Day one. And, <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah, it was, it was, it was absolutely nuts. And then, um, and then obviously, like, you know, we, you do that as quickly as possible to minimize stress. And within the space of about two to three minutes, she she swam off strongly into the, into that sparkly sea and she was gone. And yeah, I, I remember I think I got back into bed and I was like texting my family at home being like, yeah, this is it. <laughs> not coming back. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Love that. Oh, that's that must be so cool. But like the first minute you lock eyes with like this big shark, like so powerful and so deadly and so beautiful that must have been a really cool moment Um, yeah yeah really cool I mean at that moment you know you're not everything that I'd learned about sharks everything I'd seen in the media just went away like there was no fear there was it was there was just me trying to learn more about them and trying to understand them because once you understand them that whole thing about them being deadly and dangerous it's like it, it disappears it's just it's no longer there that's amazing. And so going back to why people are afraid of sharks, why why have sharks got this bad rep in the water then? Like, uh, what what is the reason behind some of their behavior? Let's say if they're coming up to have a swim and see you, it's, it's, that's the case, isn't it? That they, they confuse you for another type of prey and maybe have a, a chunk out of people's leg just because they, they're confused and think it's something else. Was that it? Yeah, I mean, if, if so... Sharks are incredibly curious. Mm. That's the first thing to say about them is that they're interested. They're an apex predator. They're top of the food chain in the ocean ecosystem. They're incredibly important for the health of that ecosystem. Um, but when they see us, they, they generally know what we are, but they still want to come and have a look. They yeah. want to know 
you know, the amount of times I've been booked by a shark because it comes and just bonks you with its nose. <sighs> like it happens, it happens fairly frequently in the water. And the more yeah. you understand them, the more comfortable you get. And you can read their behavior really easily. Yeah. Like understanding when a shark is coming up to you because it's curious is very different than seeing a shark come up to you because it's a bit annoyed. Yeah. I've had both. And you know the difference. You know the difference. Oh, my God. Um, but, you know, neither of those two times, well, one, there's only one time that it's come up to me when it's been a bit annoyed. And uh, that was totally my fault. That's not the shark's fault. Right. And I understood what I did wrong afterwards. Right. And I was not in any danger. Like, I knew what to do. It was, it, it, like, the shark was fine. It was never going to bite me. Like, it's, yeah. it was fine because I, I understood the situation. And there, in my opinion, and, and I saw a TED Talk recently about this, and I thought it was a really interesting quote. There is no such thing as a dangerous shark. There is only such a thing as a dangerous situation. Yeah. So, you know, th- these, these animals aren't dangerous and, and they, they know there's no blubber on us. They don't want to eat us. Ultimately, it is a waste of energy for them to even try. And, yeah. um, you know, you, a lot of the time you see sharks, they're quite slow moving in the water, depending on the species. And that's just because they don't eat every single day. They need to re- store as much energy as possible because they're constantly having to swim. Again, yeah. most shark species, they're having to swim to get oxygen and water in through their gills. Yeah. Um, so they're constantly having to be on the move. They don't want to waste energy in attacking us when there's no really fatty blubber on us. It's just yeah. not in their interest. Um, and when they do, it's because somebody has behaved in a way that has not seen the warning signs. They've gotten yes. water without the education of how to conduct themselves you know, around sharks or knowing you know, when it's okay and when it isn't okay to approach them. Um, or perhaps you know that they are wearing something shiny, which might look like a seal blubber. But again, you know, you always hear about shark bites and not as many shark fatalities. Yeah. It's because sharks do something called a test bite. Yeah. Now, don't get me wrong, nobody wants to be test bitten by a shark. Sure. I get that. But what they do is they come up and they, they do a very light touch with their jaws. So what they'll do, rather than biting and twisting, like they would do if they were going to eat their prey, what they'll do is they come up and they touch you like this. It's a little yeah. a bit of like a nip, I suppose. Yeah. And you don't want to be nipped by a shark. Obviously, it's not, it's not very nice but they'll come up and nip you just to see what you are because that's that's how they feel things. Yeah. Um, so that's why you get shark, more shark bites than you do shark fatalities. And considering how many people go into the ocean, you're never going to be that far away from a shark. You know, yeah. it's, it's their ocean home. And it happens so irregularly. Like you're more likely to go to New York. Well, you're 25 times more likely to go to New York and be bitten by a stranger than oh you God. are to ever go and be bitten by a shark ever you're more likely to get killed by your toaster and your cow and by falling out of bed than you are you know to to be bitten by and killed by a shark it's just it it's highly highly unlikely but obviously you do have to respect them as an apex predator and understand them if you're getting into the water do a bit of research and understand them first yeah that's exactly i mean that's that i feel like that that goes with a lot of nature right when you're stepping into any territory if you're going into the woods in America, let's say, like, and there are bears and things like that, you need to be aware about what you need to do if you're going into the water, if you're going into Africa, you know, you need to just know what hell is going on so that you don't get hurt because it's usually the animal that gets persecuted if somebody gets hurt, right? It's either killed it for revenge or, you know, there's there's other hunters that come and, and get it. It's just do yeah. do your research. To, they, don't um... hurt. they don't want to hurt us. They're not interested yeah. in us. We are genuinely, like, 
you know, I know we've all been through lockdown, but I promise you that there's not enough blubber on us and they're going to want <laughs> they're going to want to eat us. Like then we're not we're not just our bodies are just we're too bony. We're not yeah, we're not good for them. Like they're not designed to eat us. Like like we're not designed to swim, they're not designed to eat us. Yeah. Yeah. But we are the ones entering their home and we have to respect their behaviour and, and, and their landscape. Um but you know, but we should also just appreciate like they're curious and it's yeah. great. Nose bumped friend but you know in a friendly way by a shark it's an amazing experience it's so cool to see yeah. them come up and get curious and investigate you um and and to see what you are because ultimately you're there to investigate them yes exactly and, and I, then it becomes mutual trust I feel like the fact if I ever got you know if I was ever swimming in the ocean and I got a little bump by a shark I I mean first of all I would probably sh- my pants um and out of like <laughs> oh my god but, you know, if it comes up and it's just boop, seeing what I'm doing, I'd be like, oh, hey, what are you doing there, pal? Like, then again, I think you and I benefit from having a lot of animal experience, right? Of, of growing up uh, around animals or working a lot with animals. I think the average person would just be flailing in the water like, holy crap, there is a uh, there's a shark coming towards me. So I think it is just um, telling people that it's OK to just relax and, and keep keep calm in that situation. Right. And don't go kind of splashing around flailing out because i mean is that likely to ang- to aggravate the shark if, if you're flailing if you're trying to you know hit them yeah. or kick them away i've seen a lot of articles by um, self-confessed shark experts mm. and um, they suggest that if you're ever in the water and a shark approaches to make as many loud splashes as you can ah um, that is entirely incorrect please oh. do not do that oh wow <laughs> okay yeah i know so it's um it's basically that they're going to become more curious by that but that's interesting for them. They want to they want to explore that. They, that will almost attract them to come in. More and, sharks are going to come because they're like, yeah, what's going on. <laughs> okay. They'll be more interested because you're making like sound. They're like, what is that? And also, you've got to remember, like when a, when a seal or something is in trouble, it's flailing around. Yeah, yeah. You know, you don't want to do that. If a shark is approaching you and you're nervous and it's getting close, the best thing you can do is put your hand out and redirect it. Yeah. So you've got to remember the position of their mouth. Their mouth is quite considerably far under their nose. Yeah. So. If you t- touch the nose and you push and you change it, the shark's direction, it's going to go in another direction and you just stay calm in the water. Yes. The best thing you can do. There's a lot of shark repellents you can get. And honestly, they don't work. Shark rep- what is in the shark repellent? Do you know? Like, what? Are, what are There's like these bracelets that you can wear that are meant to be like, I don't I don't really understand it, but it, it doesn't work. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that that's you know that's like snake oil to me that that is like oh shark repellent just wear this bracelet and no sharks will come it's like yeah (laughs) okay that's the weirdest thing i've ever heard like it's meant to be some sort of i don't know electromagnetic repellent i didn't understand it but it doesn't work it's pretty rubbish so you know the best thing you can do if you're in the water with sharks and you're feeling a bit you know first of all if you're getting in the water with sharks go with someone who knows more about sharks than you perhaps if it's your first time go with someone who's experienced um learn a bit about them um but just you know redirect them push their noses off in the other way and they'll, and they'll just like they'll just swim by and they'll like keep their eye on you and they'll watch you and say like what are you doing next like yeah. what's going on just, um, like, just this way buddy there you go uh, yeah. there we go that way but the amount of times i've had to do that has been really minimal because actually like they just they just come and they often keep their distance they rarely come up that close to you if you've got a gopro that's when they'll come close because obviously with the um the way in which sharks hunt is using the electromagnetic field around them mm-hmm. so they've got these jelly filled sacks in their noses and down the lateral line of their bodies which is just like the, the central line down down the side of them yeah um, which uh, the, and this jelly is able to detect the electromagnetic field of its prey item 
So every living organism has a slight electrical pulse within it. Um, For example, the hammerhead, like we mentioned before, it's got that really unique shape. It's essentially like a metal detector. So it's a benthic feeder, meaning it feeds on the bottom of the ocean. And it will guide, it's it's called a cephalofoil, its head. It's a cephalofoil. So it will use its head and it will kind of go over, up and down the sandy sandy bottom of the water. And once it detects that a prey is nearby, it will like suck it up. Um, but all sharks do the same. You know, yeah. they all use this electromagnetic field to, to find their prey. So, you know, if you have a GoPro in the water, that's sending out an electric field. Yeah. yeah. That's like, that's exciting. And they're like, wow, what's that? They're like, that's cool. So that's when you get the nose bops is when you've got a GoPro in your hand. And I that's- love that because they come and they just like boop the camera. Oh, my um, God. That's, a, that's such an amazing fact, actually, because I, I didn't realize that, that you know, that, it wouldn't occur to me to sit my GoPro into the water like that. But I sh- I'm sure it has for a lot of people. They're like, oh, I want to capture what underneath here not realizing that it's uh kind yeah. of drawing I mean, some sharks nearby they often don't think it like they won't it, you have to be quite close for them to see. detect it like it's Got not it. like they're not going to come in from miles and miles around yes. um but it but yeah they'd, they'd be curious about it but it's not an great i've never seen a shark think it's like i'm gonna try and eat this yes yeah, yeah. Because, because of that i've never i've never seen that like it's more curiosity because it's a very yeah. different like they're probably able to sense very different types of electric fields so an artificial one is going to be very different from the one in its prey. And they know that they're not stupid. Mm-hmm. So they're just curious. They're saying what it is. They'll boop it. Um, but, you know, we've got electrical pulse within us as well with, yeah. with our heartbeats. And when you're actually in the water with sharks, they can kind of sense our heartbeats at the same time. So like, stay cool. They can like sense you. We can sense them. Yeah. And it's, and it's the most peaceful experience. It's not that I, I haven't been in the water yet with sharks and been been frightened. That's an amazing takeaway from this of just take a deep breath relax and yeah guide away if you see one coming up in the rare instance that they will be coming so close to you that you can guide it that's an amazing takeaway from that actually I'll go back to we'll pivot a little bit from bad behavior what what do you love most about sharks like what is your favorite thing about sharks um, so I worked on a study when I was in Bimini. Um, my job as a volunteer was to basically support some PhD students and um, one of my really good friends Felicity she she was doing an amazing study looking at lemon shark personality. So oh. we were looking at uh, juvenile lemon sharks, ones that had just been born again in that nursery, um, you know, mangrove ecosystem. And we basically gave these juvenile lemon sharks new things and we tested their reaction to it. We put these like plastic donuts in the water and all kinds of new things that they would never have seen before just to see what they do. Yeah. And we did it obviously several times with the same individuals. And we noticed that some individuals were bolder because they were willing to explore new things, whereas other individuals were much shyer and they would be around the kind of the boundary of this semi-captive pen that we'd created just for the purpose of the experiment before they were re-released in a couple of days. So we noticed there were like very much individual, consistent individual differences in behavior. And that is ultimately the definition of personality. So there were some you know, we were beginning to understand more about shark personalities. But then, interestingly, if you look which individuals are swimming with which, you found that individuals of the same personality type stick together. That's yeah. amazing. What the hell? It's like they have their own little, like, clique. And they're like, oh, this is my friend. This person is my like friend. <laughs> but the obviously they're solitary when they're, you know, when, as they grow up and they yes. stick together as a, as a kind of a, a defense strategy. Um, but we're understanding more about, you know, because you get schools of hammerheads that come together as particularly, you know, the females during the breeding season. You get so many, you know, you get nurse sharks that like, we call it a nurse shark cuddle because these are it's another benthic species. They feed off the bottom of the seafloor mm-hmm. and they will lie on top of each other under these ledges. 
and, and rest. They're not a species that has to keep swimming oh, all the time. Yes, sure, sure. They're like a, it's like a puddle of nurse sharks. A cuddle um, puddle. Oh my god. Yeah, it's like a cuddle puddle. That is so cute. Right. I love that. So, yeah, I mean, we're understanding more about kind of shark intelligence and personality more all the time, um, and it's really thanks to Felicity and um, another scientist called Sean Sebastian that, that, that we're beginning to understand this and breaking down those stereotypes. This is incredible. The fact that they're like, oh, this shark is just like me. We'll hang out together over here. I I love that. That's maybe the favorite thing I've learned on this podcast. Sorry to all my previous guests that have said interesting stuff. That is amazing. I love that. That's so Yeah, cool. it's unexpected, isn't it? Because yeah. like, you have you believe that these man-eating demons that like I don't think and yeah. they will just like, you know, they just rely on their... No, they're, they're highly intelligent. They're not... Killing machines. Fight everything. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god. That's quite the opposite. Incredible. To be honest. Oh, so this is going to be really good because I think after we um we mm-hmm. come back from the break in a moment because I'm going to ask you to help me rate sharks on a scale of one to five and I think this is going to be quite interesting on, in terms of how much of an asshole they are and you know feel free to give low if they are low feel free to give high about certain things if they're high but I'm, I have a feeling we're going to be quite low today which is um exactly what I want to hear. So, Megan, we're going to come back from the break in a moment and we're going to to go on to the asshole rating section, which I promise is a lot nicer than it sounds. <laughs> Are you ready? Bring it on. Excellent. We'll be right back, guys. Stay with us. Wonderful. We are back now with the brilliant Megan McCubbin, who is going to help me determine exactly how much of an asshole sharks are to humans, to each other, and to other species in the ocean. Are we ready, Megan? Yeah, I think so. Excellent. We're going to start with humans because, you know, we think of ourselves as the most important thing all the time, obviously. So, you know, we're going to start with how they behave to us. How would you rate them, do you think, on a scale of one to five? I mean, obviously, shark bites do, unfortunately, very rarely occasionally happen. And it's very sad and unfortunate when it does. So, I mean, I'd, I'd like to score zero, but I'll give, I'll give them a one. I'll give them a one because it does occasionally happen. And, and we can't deny that. But at the same time, they're not ourselves. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think you're right. I think it would be, I think you'd be hard pressed to find an animal that's a zero I'm trying to think of an example of an animal that just doesn't even, couldn't even remotely hurt humans if it tried. But, um, and there's always going to be some sort of element of that. But yeah, you're right. It's not, um, not the, yeah. you know. Blobfish, how much do they, do they hurt humans? Oh, they can't hurt humans, they're like. not, yeah. I, I, guess. I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty tame, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> let's go. Yeah, okay. Well, the second I do an episode about blobfish, then okay. we can give zeros. Yeah. We can start dropping zeros. Okay. <laughs> but I think a one is, is, is a fair enough answer. Yeah. So on a scale of one to five of how much of an asshole they are to each other, what do you think? Oh, they can be pretty deverish to each other, um, especially because well, the young, or the biggest predator for young sharks is bigger sharks. So yeah, you know, that's not great for them. Cannibalism, casual. It is. Yeah, what it is. you know, it happens. Yeah, I mean that they, they can sometimes be a little bit aggy with each other sometimes, um, but it's like it's like you know any apex predator. There's only certain number there's much less for example density of apex predators than there are of prey species for example so i mean i would say i would give it a two because it doesn't happen all the time but just sometimes i'll give them a two yeah 
Yeah, they're on. But then sometimes you get cuddle puddles. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. they can't. Yeah, they can't hate each other all the time. I did. I did read that that shark babies sometimes will eat each other. And, um, mm-hmm. Yes, that and that's right. That's yeah. just a survival thing. Exactly, and the, the tiger sharks is a species which do that. Um, and you know, of, often in the womb, you get like female tiger sharks will generally only give birth to one pup um but they might in the womb have two sometimes three um and yeah i mean it's all about nutrients because it's like survival of the fittest let's let's make sure that we're gonna you know if we're gonna go to all this effort to make a baby and and sharks are quite long lived they only depending on the species will reproduce every one to two years they won't produce that many young which is one of the problems why sharks are in trouble because they're slow to reproduce yeah yeah so yeah i mean so if you're going to go to all that travel and energy to actually make a baby let's make it the fiercest and the best predator possible so you know yeah they will they will eat one another in the womb just because you know the the others will be weaker and might not survive anyway so you may as well you know to get the to get a <laughs> that's nature baby that's how it goes you know yes. you've got to come out on top so yeah that that makes sense so i think a two is is a fair enough answer if they're if cannibalism is an option for sharks but also cuddle puddles are an option for sharks so yeah. it's um it can go either way i guess depending on the species depending on the situation all of exactly. that stuff and it's into between species as well that's when the majority of the aggression occurs is you know without between species but you know it yeah it's a tough one isn't it so we've got a a two for how much of an asshole they are to each other so we're going to go into other species now what do you think i mean if you're if you're if you're the prey item of a shark like five (laughs) five thousand uh, yeah i'd be pretty pissed off if i was was, you know uh, the prey item of a shark i mean it's you know you're an apex predator that's what you do it's an important thing it's an important role to have but from the perspective of prey item yeah they're a bit of an arsehole yeah exactly dick move eating me like what the hell yeah not not ideal uh (laughs) but important they need to eat something everything needs to eat something and i'd say you know that that a predator you know eating a prey from regardless of what it is uh it would it would be it would probably be up there on the arsehole spectrum yeah so what do we what do we think you think at a three or a four Uh, uh let's go four 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 is a four is a fair enough amount because I feel like sharks. I mean, sharks won't mess with things for the sake of messing with things, right? Like, right. um, there's some species of animal that will just be like, "Oh, I want to mess up your day today," you know, because I don't like what's going on here, or I, I want to mess with you a little bit. Sharks are just doing their thing, eating their food, you know. Yeah, minding their own business. Exactly. But, but you know, by eating their own food, they're you know keeping actually the prey population healthy. <laughs> they're regulating. They're taking off the sick and injured, and the the ones with disease that could cause you know disease outbreak. Yeah. Um, you know, they're 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 really do- they're doing the population of the prey a favour. It's just that those individuals getting eaten don't know that, and yeah, probably exactly. want to get eaten if given the chance. <laughs> But yeah, you're right. They're they're doing a favor for the uh, for the greater good. That's such a good point, actually. That's a good way of thinking about it. Actually, they're yeah, they're picking off the weakest out of the the bunch and uh, yeah. and making sure they go into a good home into into their bellies. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And it's all about you know nutrients fall because when the sharks die and all the nutrients from the prey items will go down to the bottom, and it's a whole cycle. So big picture, as an apex predator to other species, not an asshole. Yeah. Small picture to individual prey items, bit of an asshole bit of an arsehole so we're going to go mm-hmm. four for that one so Ripple. excellent so we've got a one a two and a four i'm going to do some calculations here quick megan here we go we've got a seven we've got a seven yeah. out of 15 for for how much of an arsehole they are across um across three boards is that good i don't know 
you know what I think it's I think it's fair because I think we're we're not you know we're being quite honest about the the shark behavior here but we're Mm. being quite generous I think to sharks as you said there's a lot more going on upstairs than we think there is I I've been asking this actually for the last couple of podcasts of if anybody thinks that they're or what animal would be a 15 out of 15 for Mm. for asshole behavior because I have my answer and you know people who listen to this podcast will be like oh Alice is going to say this and here it is it's chimps chimps are all three for me five out of five (laughs) they're great I think they're amazing I think they could be I think someone could judge chimps as 15 out of 15 on the asshole scale yeah how like they like to mess with things you know they're they're quite like okay you know they're smart enough where they can they can be uh clever and lovely and also you know like us yeah they're chimps quite intimidating in many ways Uh i have a healthy fear fear respect of chimps yeah but i think that's a good thing i think with an animal with that much power and that much intelligence you you need to be respectful of it and understand it because it's yeah yeah i had a a chimp throw a log at my head once oh god this is why (laughs) oh it's interesting god Um, love them you know i i've been working uh god yeah i've been working with small carnivals and large carnivals for the last god like 10 years and i never will work with apes i i think they're great i think they're amazing but they you know there's some part of me that is just terrified (laughs) yeah well it's so close to us that's scary humans scare me enough yeah you know and they're very close to us um but i mean i've got i quite like chips i think they're fascinating it's interesting to understand more about us through them but also them as their own entity so i yeah i like them but i I do understand your point Uh, i just i can't you know i'm not sure i would give it that high mark personally but i'm not sure that i would give anything I, I, i always try to be as understanding about everything as i can and i don't yeah. I, it's not an animal that really that, I, I, that really gets me like that just yeah, that, you know what that's the most diplomatic fair answer um and i think it's um it's the sign of a true sort of zoologist naturalist is that you know you're like hey no animal is a complete jerk you know they're doing it for they're they're behaving this way for this reason they're behaving this way for this reason and i'm like chimps Chimps, fifteen out of fifteen, you know. So it's it's so this it's up in the in the in the um in the paws of another animal or like you know yeah. in a, you know just up at the slither of another animal. But you know what I mean. Yeah, you gotta, I get you. You gotta, you gotta, yeah, yeah. You gotta understand it from its perspective, and regardless of what it is, it all has a place. Yes, but I don't understand crickets. That's one thing I'm not like I I under when well, I understand them and I appreciate their role, but I can't predict them, and that's a bit unnerving. Like I can't predict where a cricket is going to like a, a chimp or a shark. I can predict roughly what it's going to do. Okay. Cricket, on the other hand, it's there one minute, jumps, it's gone, and I, like I don't know where it is, and yeah. that's unpredictable, and I can't I can't quite get my head around that. But other that's, than that, that's the funniest thing. That's such a random animal to mm-hmm. be like this. Don't know what this is doing. But no, I respect that. Figure it out. And not, it's not like, you know, it's not like a, I, I respect them and everything I have. I just don't get them. Yeah. I, mean, I get them, but I don't get them. Like, I just, I'm like, what are you thinking? What are you trying? Like, I, there's no, like, even up with other insects, I can be like, oh, this is probably how you're going to move next. Crickets and grasshoppers and locusts, I know they're going to jump. I just don't know where they're going to go. Yeah. But, like, and, it, and it's spring and it makes a jump. Maybe, That's- maybe I need to bring on another entomologist because yeah. I had uh, Dr. Uh, Dr. Greg Dickens on who spoke about wasps, who it was amazing and changed cool. uh, uh, my mind about wasps and how awesome they oh, are. Great. Oh, yeah. Honestly, listen to that episode. 
Dr. Okay. Greg Dickens. Shout out to Dr. Greg Dickens. He's currently in the jungle at the minute with his three kids. Literally moved his entire oh. family to the middle of the jungle to do some research to try and find a, a baby Titan beetle. Amazing oh, that's guy. That's so cool. Yeah. So I want to be one of his kids. Yeah. His kids. Not me. <laughs> yeah. I know, I'm gonna give a, I'm gonna give a quick shout out to Greg. This is so random. I didn't expect to talk about this today because I see pictures of him and his kids doing all of this, like holding like tiny crocs, like with their little head torches on, and they're like seven years old. And I'm like, God, that's... you've got such a great life. That's so cool. Yeah, that's pretty cool. But there, yeah, maybe I need to get another um maybe I need to get Greg back on at some point and be like, talk to me about crickets, you know. Yeah, I'll be yeah anyway we digress uh we were massively digress um so yeah we've got a seven out of 15 uh do you think that's a fair uh, amount to give to the sharks today yeah i mean i like to i like i i have to be honest you know big picture i don't think there are souls at all but if yeah. you are a prey item i i think i think it's fair from that perspective but in the big picture i yeah small picture yes big picture no yes but for the the sake of this podcast you know for the entertainment <laughs> all right go on a yes. little bit Seven, I'll, seven I'll admit to it. I'll break down and I'll admit that that I'll accept it. <laughs> but we're here, yeah, we're here to bust um, myths about sharks today. So we, uh, which I think is amazing, the fact that we learned that they have um, little personalities, I think is already blowing my mind. <laughs> that is amazing, Megan. So that brings us to the end of the asshole rating segment. Uh, when we come back from the break, we're going to do maybe my favorite segment, which is the true or false round, where I've curated some tricksy shark adjacent questions for you to guess either true or false but the good news is there's a 50 50 chance so if you don't know just you know only one of two answers are you ready i believe i am excellent stay with us guys we'll be right back Excellent. We are back now with the fantastic Megan McCubbin, who is going to be answering some of my tricksy true or false questions that I have prepared to trap her, to trick her, to be a bit of a dick myself. Wait so, a minute, I didn't sign up for that. <laughs> wait a second, you know, you like yeah, up the call. <laughs> I didn't sign up for this. Um, well, it's good news is there's 50-50 chance, Megan, so I'm sure you'll be absolutely fine. Statistically, I have had a guest that got a zero out of five. Shout out Jungle Jordan. If people remember that, we were talking about otters. He got none of the questions right. I mean, I don't think what are the chances of two guests getting zero out of five? Probably not. (laughs) You're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. Okay, wonderful. We're going to start question number one. In the 2004 DreamWorks film Shark Tale, the shark character Don Lino, played by Robert De Niro, is a tiger shark. Is that true or is that false? Oh, I've seen, I've seen that film like once years yeah. ago. In 2004, maybe. Yeah, literally. <laughs> um, I don't think it is. Okay, are you saying false? I'm going to say, oh no, because it's such a specific question. Uh, I don't think, it, I'm going to say false. I'm gonna, yeah, I'm going to hide my face for the remainder of these so that my face isn't giving it away. You're absolutely right, though, it is false. So yes, you've got one yeah. right. Amazing. Okay, so, yeah. what is it? Is it a... Is he's it a great, great white? Yeah, he's a great white. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the. Oh, they're uh, always great whites. That's it. He's the head of the like the mafia, like the dangerous sort of stereotype. Uh-huh. So yeah, he's oh, got to be a great. You know what? White. Great whites are some of the most chilled species. They're, it's honestly Jaws that have done that reputation of all of the sharks. Great whites. They might be big, but they're very chilled. 
Yeah, we were putting Steven Spielberg on blast today, aren't we, really, for, for well, Jaws? Well, he has apologised publicly for Jaws. Ah, well, that's okay mm-hmm. then. I um, I respect that. But um, yeah. you'd think at some point he'd be giving a bit more to shark conservation. Maybe he has. Maybe he does it privately. A realistic Jaws. Real Jaws is another film in that. Anyway. <laughs> But yeah. yes, you're absolutely right. That, um, that film, the 2004 DreamWorks film, Shark Tale, has a character called Don Lino. He is a great white shark. He's played by Robert De Niro. He's a, you know, he's a mafia guy. He's a, yeah, you know, he's like all that sort of Italian-American. That film also had no right to be as good as it was and as star-studded as it was. It had, like, Angelina Jolie was there. Will Smith was there. That was a, a celebrity-packed film. I, I don't want to watch it now, though. Yeah, back. it's got a good soundtrack on it. This is Christina Aguilera's there. Missy Elliott's oh. there. So blast from the past. There we go. Shout out to uh, Shark Tale. So excellent. Got that one right. Question number two. So we were mentioning this earlier. So the first part of this is a um, a sort of a a statement of fact. And then the second part is a question. So Mm -hmm. as we discussed earlier, sharks have been known to sort of sleep swim. And uh, some sharks have periods of activity and periods of rest instead of sleeping for a block period of time like humans do. However, the longest a human has ever gone without sleep is five days. Is that true or false? Oh, that's a human question. I know. <laughs> that is cheeky. I know. Days. What do you think? Um, I feel like that's a long time. I, I mean, I, I, I would, yeah, I mean, I'd become a bit of an arsehole. If I <laughs> <laughs> We're looping back to arseholes. Yeah, I'm sure this person was an arsehole. Um, yeah, I mean, five days is a long time. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say, mm, no, I I'm, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna look away from the camera so that my face doesn't give anything away because I'll yeah. Subconscious- I'm gonna say false. I honestly I don't think I think after like I've, I think the longest I've not actively slept for was like two days and that was when I was filming something and um and I couldn't sleep and I like that was bad. I'm gonna say false. I think five days would be a lot. You are right. It is false. It's longer. Okay. Longer. Yeah. So the record for the longest a human has gone without sleep and survived is eleven days. Oh god, no! That's yeah. hot. that sounds awful. So uh, it was a part of a um a sleep study in the sixties. A right. is it by a, an American teenager. I feel like teenagers would be more likely to survive this than like me in my thirties, yeah. something like that. Where I'm like, if I don't get my eight hours, you know, yeah. I, I turn into a cranky b word. But um, yeah, two hundred and sixty four hours. I don't know. I I reckon actually he is half human, half shark, and is actually able to shut off half his brain to yeah. sleep. But, because I like that's just mental. <laughs> I feel just... like after like day four, surely you'd be hallucinating. You wouldn't even be. I don't. I think you'd even be in the room, right? I mean, I can't even comprehend. I can't yeah. even comprehend eleven days straight no. without sleeping. That's like, what are you? Are you taking meth? To get through that, like what is? Yeah, you. I mean, yeah. I don't know. I, I. That's just inconceivable to me. I think they need to do that study again. I don't believe it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, we've got time to repeat this study. <laughs> Trying to put somebody else through that. See, see what happens. For me though, I'm not doing it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I do not volunteer. <laughs> Screw that. Um. Yeah. So that uh, you are right. It's false. So two, two for two so far, Megan. I've never had anybody get five out of five. So just dropping it in there. That could be a possibility today. We shall see. Okay. okay. Question number three. This is funny because we were just talking about it. So the movie Jaws was inspired by a real life series of shark attacks in the early 19th century. Is that true or false? It was based off one shark attack off the coast of New Jersey. So yes, true. Ding, 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 ding. I'm going to put in a little little ding sound here. 
that was like it that you got it right and then also you explained it right as well that's amazing yeah one shark attack of coast new jersey and then i think it was peter benchley that wrote the book and then that was featured from in the film i literally had this written down as something i was going to be like actually megan it was peter benchley that and you know it already that's incredible that's amazing i'm again a bit of a shark nerd i love this yes absolutely right so it was um so i read that it was a series of shark attacks but it was one you're saying it was, I mean, I thought it was one, but it could, but you know, I, I might be a bit hazy on that, but I definitely, I knew that it was definitely based very loosely on yes. an incident. Yeah. So there's the um, shark attack, I'll say plural, because I feel like, it, I feel like it's going to be more than one, right? Otherwise it's not really like whipping people into mass frenzy, I think. Yeah. But um, well, it could have been a couple of people being bitten by the you know, in one instant. I mean, who knows? Yeah. I, don't, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, so it was in 1916. So this is probably, I mean, would you think this is, this is fair to say, this is probably where a lot of the shark stigma came from in the media, because yeah. I was doing my research into this and, and after that series of attacks or whatever happened there in 1916, it seemed like a lot of negative propaganda, including things like the politics at the time, sort of depicted sharks as the enemy. So, you know, they cartoonists would paint evil political figures as sharks or yeah. or metaphors for polio would be depicted as sharks. And it was yeah. like, ah, oh, you know, polio is a bad thing. We're going to paint it as a shark and sort of like ingraining it- this thing into into pop culture. It encourages your imagination. It's like that monster under your bed thing. Again, like it's what you don't know. Like most people become fearful of sharks before they even have a chance to see them or understand them. So it's like, it's fear of that unknown. And the moment that, you know, like we're, we're very easily led by ideas and we're very easily led by kind of various different narratives. So the moment that we'd start demonizing something like the monsters under our bed, then, you know, our imagination goes crazy and we make them into you know, nasty politicians or that's it, polio or whatever, and and then then all of a sudden they become whatever we dream them to be in our heads without any actual real basis or actual yeah. true understanding, and 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 then we we buy into drama. We love drama. That's so it. So if you can sell more papers by saying man eater, vengeful, and we'll go after people, then like. Yeah, it's going to sell more more papers, isn't it? Than oh, a beautiful shark swims peacefully to exactly. surfer. Yeah, exactly. You don't get that kind of headline, and I still I'm I'm still very active. Whenever I see nasty headlines, I'm still very active and trying to yeah. get them down or change the wording. But people 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 love clickbait. Literally, that's it. And you know, you got to think though. In in 1916, I mean, obviously, there's there's no. I mean, it goes without saying. There's no internet. There's no way to check fact. Barely any research being done with with these animals at that time. And you have the paper and that's the way that you get your news, right? And if the paper is saying deadly shark attack, if the paper is painting, you know, Hitler as a shark or evil political leaders as a shark, and you're putting these two things together, you're thinking sharks are evil. Sharks are the bad guys. Yeah. And and then there's not really a way to dispute it. So it's probably a product of the time, right? You know, that we couldn't, we couldn't check. We don't have researchers necessarily going out and debunking myths about sharks. And we don't have a way to fact check at that point. You know, you you are the the mercy of the, the journalists and the editors of the paper at the time. And it will go through generations because oh, yeah. then, with parents, like, like we've learned that fear of spiders is 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 learned. And yes. It's not something that we're born with. We learn that through our parents. And if you know, if people around us are scared of sharks or spiders, whatever it may be, then the chances are we will grow up to be too. Because again, it's our imagination about what they could do or yeah, you know, or what they're pursuing. Yeah, it's it's, it's crazy. It, yeah. I think it's the same it's thing with. Metaphor. 
it's the same thing with snakes as well. I think that's like the, the trifecta, right? Spiders, sharks, and snakes are just like the thing that everybody yeah. will but freak out about. more unimaginable because we're not... Yeah. Like spiders and snakes are more of a realistic biological threat to us because yes. we share the same landscape as them. Like we're terrestrial yeah. animals, but shark, we're not meant. To, we're mammals that are with our feet on the ground. We're not swimmers. We're not evolutionarily yeah. designed for that. It's just that you know we we put on a wetsuit and we we put flippers on and we try and make our bodies more able to swim <laughs> through the water. So we yeah. you know sharks are more ridiculous because. We shouldn't be in that environment. We're not biologically programmed to be scared of sharks. No, you're exactly right. And it's so it really is the thanks to something like this, to, to pop culture, to newspaper print, to the media trying to. And I suppose as well, what, going back to what we we're saying about um, it was a, a sort of a reflection of the times. It's like newspapers needed to sell, right, to keep in business at that time. And people are going to buy a paper that says deadly man eating shark loose. Here's the story. And uh, that's how pr- printing press was kept in operation and people had jobs. It was whipping up frenzy about, about this, yeah, that, it, about... It um, sounds. Yeah, it exactly. Exactly right. So it's it's wrong to, especially to pin our financial struggles on the shark, in a sense, and, and have them be the sort of scapegoat for uh, not thinking of an interesting enough story to put in your newspaper. But uh, I suppose it was a product of, of the time and uh, but now we have this uh, sort of yeah this sort of generational fear that goes back but i imagine that was probably one of the first times in in popular culture at least across the states that uh, the people were vilifying sharks so i am so impressed as well that you knew the author of the book and you had you were like oh yeah peter benchley <laughs> like duh alice and i was like i'm really impressed that's that's amazing so yeah <laughs> three for three. Oh, megan Please make it five for five. We're gonna we're gonna well, see if we can try get this pressures on. Like, don't uh, don't screw it up. <laughs> now we'll be fine. Okay, cool. Question number four: A full suit of armor was found inside the belly of a great white shark. Is that true or false? Uh, it's shiny, therefore a shark would be more interested in it. Um, a full suit. Are we talking? Are we? It's not connected. We're we talking like a like a literal full suit of armor. I guess so. Yeah. I'm trying not to look at you. I'm trying not to look. Uh, I'm going. I full suit. I think it's. I'm. They, they would be interested in it because it's a shiny bit of metal, um, and you're always told not to wear like grey or silver, particularly or black. You know. Um, I'm saying. I'm going to say. Oh, full suit seems a bit ridiculous to me. I'm going to go no. Megan, it's true. Is it true? Yeah. 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 A full suit of armor. A full suit of armor was found, according to a 16th century naturalist. So uh, whether or not we're taking this with a, a pinch of salt. I take that with a pinch of salt. Come on. Like a full suit of armor. Yeah. I mean, no. I mean that like great whites are large, but like that's a that's like for their stomach, like that's a lot of metal. Yeah. I mean, I think... Don't get me wrong, they've been they, they've been found to eat some their stomachs, have, you know, inside their stomachs has been some interesting things. Uh but a full suit of armor. It's crazy. And it's crazy we obviously can't prove that as well. Like some no. guy said in the 16th century, oh, we cut open a shark and found a full suit of armor there. And we just have to be like, okay, <laughs> we can't, we can't disprove that. So no, I'd, be, I'd be surprised. I mean, that's, maybe. that's totally fair. So like a bit of armor, sure. Yeah. Like it said it was like a cuff or like, mm. you know, something yeah, like that. Maybe. Or yeah. a crushed helmet, depending on the type of metal. I mean, maybe, but a full suit. Yeah. I wonder if full suits of armor were smaller than if people were smaller than. 
Yeah, but not that much smaller. I mean, they were yeah. smaller, but not like that's still a lot of metal. Yeah, you're right. And like the chests are big. I mean, great whites, like big and wrong, they're big, but like they like they would have to they would, it would take a few chunks of a human to eat a human. Yeah. Okay. Well, but, we will never know. Anyway, anyway, no, I think that's I think that's solid reasoning. I mean, uh, I, I'm curious about that. I'm gonna do some more research after this. <laughs> absolutely do. I mean, the because I I did actually search for. I was like, I wonder what the craziest thing found in a shark was, and I found this this report. It's by a guy called uh, Guillaume Rondelet. So that's the 16th century naturalist that apparently recorded this this full seat warmer. Other crazy things apparently found in a shark's belly. Although it's um, these are not necessarily great white sharks. A porcupine. A cannonball, which yeah, is absolutely yeah, really, that's crazy. That, that's that's yeah. heavy. Like I, like I, that's to me, that's almost more. I don't know, maybe not more um, unbelievable than the suit of armor. But anyway, and I maybe mean, that's probably why it washed up and died. Yeah, <laughs> <Probably>. <laughs> most likely, right? Yeah. And um, the last thing is a fully intact reindeer, which was found inside a Greenland shark's stomach, mm. which is wild. Yeah, I have, I have, I have more questions. I've I have more questions looking at that, <laughs> but I guess we will never know. So yeah, yeah. Th- th- those are some things that apparently have been found in a shark's stomach. So maybe it's worth yeah, maybe it's worth doing some research. And uh, you can email me and and in a couple of days' time, being like, this is bullshit. <laughs> that is- no, I'm not. I can't disprove it either. But I just find it fascinating that that is potential. I mean, I've heard about the iron ball before. I think I've even heard about the reindeer. But yeah, for a green shark's fascinating. Yeah. But that's a whole other that's a whole other thing. But yes. It's a whole other thing. But yeah, let's um so it is true. So uh I feel like this is I feel like you got it wrong, but with an asterisk because you gave me a reason that it 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 might be false. So that mean I get half a point. Okay, <laughs> fine. Okay, fine. Oh. Yes, just because it's you. That's then we'll do. So yeah, we've got half a point for this one. Okay. I've never done this with anybody else, but you've you've con- you've convinced me that this might be a false fact. So credit where credit's due. Wonderful. <laughs> we've got one more question. Okay, question number five. In Hawaiian folklore, sharks are considered demons of the water and not to be trusted. Is that true or false? Mm, I think that is very much false, I'm going to say, because I would imagine that in Hawaiian culture, obviously a lot of people would have grown up living around sharks and it's very much a, a kind of a um, uh, a culture, as, as far as I understand it anyway, to be very much as, as one with nature um, and to have a kind of healthy respect. So I'm going to say false. You're right. It's false. I'm right. Yeah, you are right. So maybe for the purpose of this time, you have maybe got all of these questions right and you're my first guest to do so. This is insane. <laughs> so here we go. Sharks are one of the many animals in Hawaiian culture to be considered as amakua, which are deceased relatives of ours that come where well, their spirits come back to us in uh, forms of nature. So it could be an animal, it could be in a, a tree, it could be in a, a rock. So we're thinking, you know, grandmother willow in pocahontas but we're you know more specifically we're thinking if anybody's seen moana and the grandma comes back as a stingray manta ray manta ray yeah it's a manta ray and so we're talking that sort of thing where um yeah sharks are one of the many animals that uh your your deceased loved one spirit could come back and guide you sort of through life so really Sharks are in Hawaiian culture are something to be sort of revered and 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 they're beloved. They were actually said as well to guide lost swimmers back to back to land. 
uh, which yeah. is quite nice. So actually, yeah, in Hawaiian culture, they they love sharks, which is um, which is great, absolutely great. So they are the spirits of our deceased loved ones, giving us guidance in this life. And it's great, isn't it? Because the people in Hawaii obviously are more exposed to sharks than we are. Yeah. Uh, in well, anywhere, kind of the Western world. Well, yeah. we do have a lot of sharks. Don't get me wrong. It's just their warmers are a bit warmer, warmer yeah. so they go in a little bit more than we. That's do. it. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's not that you know we don't have basic sharks here, but it's also just you know the conditions and stuff. So, um, but yeah, I mean, like you know, they have a great understanding of sharks. They have done through the generations, whereas we have lost that connection with that yeah. natural environment. So you know, they understand sharks. They respect them as we all should. We all should have that kind of love and appreciation for them. Um, because they are that the kind of um, so misunderstood and misrepresented. So you know. Yeah, like I, I, I lean towards more of the Hawaiian culture. Yes, my... I, I love in doing research for this podcast on on many episodes. I've delved into how older cultures view animals, and I think there's something so lovely and and intimate about being more close to nature and respecting nature, which I I would dare say in in modern Western culture we have long abandoned where we are fearful, where we're mistrusting, where we are annoyed by nature a lot of the time, rather than working way, thinking of ways to work together with nature to live harmoniously, which seems to be a theme prevalent in, in lots of culture and mythology and, and everything like that. So it's, it's a shame that we've graduated to being distrustful and being annoyed by, by yeah. wildlife when we should be embracing the natural world and this is what is going to kill us all megan this is why the the natural world is going to wither under our reign but um but yeah not with the um, with the help of amazing people out there that are doing research and doing all the good stuff but in any case hawaiian culture seems to have got it right in that case be more hawaiian <laughs> be more hawaiian yeah exactly right moana had the right idea yes so i mean after an amazing round megan I mean, we're going to go 4.5 slash 5 because we can't prove that this this <laughs> French guy really pulled out a bloody whole suit of armor from a uh, from a shark. So I'm, I'm, I don't know if there's a prize I can send you or a medal or something. <laughs> I'll think about it. Um, and uh, yeah let me know <laughs> absolutely yeah exactly you're like my address yes i take cash <laughs> <laughs> but uh you know you did really well you absolutely smashed that round as i said i don't think i've had any guest on that has got them all right usually i'm more tricksy than this and i uh have curated more difficult questions but not for megan's charm and wit today excellent <laughs> So after we come back from the break, Megan, what we're going to do is a really quick shout out and PSA section. We're going to give uh, our listeners a reason to like sharks. And we're going to talk a little bit about what is affecting them in the wild. Are you ready? I'm ready. Bring it on. Okay, guys, we'll be right back. Our charity of the week this week is Bite Back, an organization that is dedicated to protecting sharks and fighting against the way they're portrayed in our media. Bite Back is a charity that works tirelessly to keep sharks in our oceans so that the oceans can remain as healthy as possible. Around 100 million sharks are killed every year for a variety of unacceptable reasons. Yep, 100 million. And don't forget, sharks have a gestation period of around 12 months on average. So losing that many every year is simply unsustainable and we're in danger of losing them for good if we're not careful. 
Bite Back takes their mission seriously. Thanks to them, 580 health food stores no longer sell shark cartilage capsules as a supplement. There's been an 82% drop in UK restaurants that serve shark fin soup, and 115,000 fewer portions of shark are sold to eat every year. These are the guys that sharks need to help them recover. They're also helping redefine how we see sharks in the media. We all know that catchy headlines get clicks nowadays, and shark attacks are so rare and unusual, it's unfair for the media to paint them in such a negative light. If you see an article online disparaging sharks or using monster-like language to describe them, you can email Bite Back, and they'll work to educate the authors on how this language harms their conservation efforts. There are other ways you can help too. You can always donate online if you want to give them a helping hand. You can peruse their incredible online shop for amazing shark merchandise. And you can even help them fundraise too. Swim, run, jump out of a plane. Anything you can do to help raise money for this amazing cause. If you've loved what you've learned about sharks today, join celebrities like Steve Backshall, Martin Clunes, and even Gordon Ramsay and support Bite Back. You can check out their website at www.bite-back.com. That's www.bite-back.com. And help keep nature's most misunderstood animal safely in our waters. Thank you. Wonderful. We are back now with the incredible Megan McCubbin, who has just absolutely slayed my true or false segment, leaving me embarrassed and humiliated at these questions that I thought I so craftily created. But alas, here we go. So we're going to be talking about some issues that are facing sharks in the wild today in our shout outs and PSA section. So, Megan, what have you got for us? What do you want people to know about sharks? Um, well, often when we think about shark decline, we think of shark fin soup, and that is like a sexy threat, if you want. And that's the one that everybody wants to talk about, because um, often it's the case that other people are eating shark fin soup, and it's their fault, and you know, and it's and it's a terrible thing to be doing. Don't get me wrong, it's not great. We don't, we don't, we don't want to eat shark fin soup. It's yeah. made of cartilage. Um, you know, it's it's totally tasteless. You have to cook it in a broth for it to even have any flavor. Yeah. And it's, it has no like medicinal value whatsoever, and people consume it as a as a status of wealth. And yes, it, it, it's it's absolutely rubbish. But anyway, um, so shark fin soup, of course, you know, you know, taking fins off a shark and putting the shark back into the water to eventually suffocate and die is a terrible thing to do. But we have to talk about a bigger picture here. We have to talk about overfishing in general yeah. because, regardless of the purpose, we are catching millions of sharks a year in bycatch. Uh, in nets, in trawlers, and everything like this. Um, and it's causing massive degradation. So since the 1970s, we've lost 71.1% of all sharks in the world. That's insane. It's insane. It's absolutely insane. And especially when you consider that sharks are millions of years old, over yeah. 400 million years old. Yeah, they're um, older than trees, right? I read that somewhere. They have. Yeah, exactly. They've Sharks have been in the ocean longer than trees have been rooted in the land. Yeah. Like they're fundamental, and they've basically been unchanged for millions of years. 
And often with evolution, if an animal is imperfect to its environment, it's going to change over time. Yeah. Sharks haven't had to because they're already pretty perfect. They're, ba- they're perfect they're, as they are. They're yeah. perfect. They're perfect as they are. They're perfect, you know, as an apex predator in, in the oceans. They they keep the ocean healthy. Without sharks, there is not a healthy ocean. And without a healthy ocean, there is not a healthy terrestrial ecosystem. And there isn't a healthy us. So yes. we need sharks. That's the first thing to say. And we are catching them as bycatch or, or on purpose at rates that they cannot recover from. You know, I already mentioned earlier that they're, they're slow at reproducing. So by catching sharks in the numbers that we are, we're not allowing that population to recover. And we, and we, and we catch them, you know, mainly the biggest problem is bycatch. But we also catch them for other reasons as well. And there's so many reasons that people don't know about. There, there's a, a species of, of shark here in the UK called a spiny dogfish, which has declined by over 90% in the last 50 years. It's a critically endangered species here in UK waters. Um, and, and we're still eating it in our fish and chip shops under the name of rock salmon. Oh, wow. Um, you can go and eat it in the UK. Um, and typically, yes, it is, it's shipped in from America where the population is slightly better. However, it's still a critically endangered species of shark. And we're eating it, not knowing that we're eating it because it's labeled as something different, yes. yeah. which is shock, shocking. Like labeling rules need to come in better because if it said critically endangered spiny dogfish, yeah. chances are you're not going to order it. Uh, or I hope you wouldn't anyway. Yeah, exactly. God, what kind of jerk do you have to be to be like, oh yeah, I want to, I want to eat an endangered species today. Yeah, exactly. It's not a sign of status or wealth anymore, you know, eating or having something, consuming something that's rare. It's just, it's, it, it, you know, it's it's not something to be proud of. But um, but also, you know, the, the other, one of the other threats that people really have no idea about is something called squalene. Um, and squalene is an oil um, which is produced in the liver of sharks, mm-hmm. um, but it's especially produced in the liver of deep sea sharks. And they produce a lot of this oil um, and it basically helps maintain their buoyancy in the deep sea. Yeah. So all sharks produce it to some degree, but deep sea sharks produce quite a lot of it um, because you know they have to really maintain their buoyancy a lot a lot more deep down below the water under all that pressure of the water above them. Yeah, makes sense. Um, so um, a lot of deep sea trawlers try and get these sharks and they catch them and they remove the oil from their bodies um, and they put it in our facial moisturizers and they put it in our foundations and they put it in our cosmetics because it is very moisturizing so what we don't realize actually is on the back of our cosmetics is you can spell squalene with an a or with an e both come shark derived Mm. um, and we put it all over our face because it's moisturizing so we're using deep sea shark species oil on our faces and in our makeup is um, there is there any brand? I'm forgive me if you you don't want to mention it. Is there a specific like a type of makeup pro, pro, like producer? There's so many. There are really? so many. I mean, you know, just just use find ones that are, are vegan and cruelty free. I mean, I use all vegan cruelty free makeup. Yes. Um, you know, I use a lot of like Lush products. Lush makeup's great, by the way. Shout out yeah. to Lush. Yeah, um, <laughs> you're like getting paid by Lush. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, I'm not. I, yeah, not being paid by Lush. I just really like 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 what they do for conservation behind the scenes. But um, there's there's it's in a lot of things i mean it doesn't take long just to look on the back of a product uh, and we've got into the habit of just putting things in our baskets without really checking a where it's flown in from not caring about the miles uh not caring about what season it's been grown in if we're talking about food but we don't not you know we don't check about palm oil we don't check about squalene everything like this yeah. look at the ingredients look at them yeah and see what's in the things that we're putting on or in our bodies I do. I don't want deep sea shark oil on my face like i don't yeah. care how moisturizing it is firstly because like that's not that's just not natural yeah and also how terrible for the shark that it's been harvested for that um and and these again are very slow to reproduce um and 
they just shouldn't be that we shouldn't be using them in this way and there are plant alternatives that's the thing to say is that there are ways that we can actually use something different but you know we're, we're a species that's stuck in our ways and we we need to have you know more awareness about our overfishing and our bycatch and our uh squalene consumption and everything else rock rock salmon consumption you know, sharks are under a lot of threat, threats, but we've got to remember, like, without them, there is no us. Yeah, like, they are, it. like it's hard to imagine how sharks are connected to us, but trust me, they're important. Yeah. They, they are, you know, we rely on them to look after the ocean for yeah. us. That's and- exactly it. They are the guardians of the ocean in their own way. And yeah. that's such a good point. I, I think um, going back to the idea of squalene as well, because I don't think, I feel like the general public also really doesn't know too much about this. Yeah. And I feel like it's up to us as educators to bring these issues to light and to make people aware about the the little changes, because you're absolutely right. Something like shark fin soup is so easy to condemn because it's in China and it's like, ah, oh, the people over there, exactly. Yeah. They're harvesting the sharks from the oceans. And then you go down on a Friday night and eat rock salmon and, you know, you have your foundation with with squalene in it. And it's like, what can we be doing at home to look at our own behavior instead of pointing the finger elsewhere and that's that, that attitude is outdated we've got to stop yeah. pointing the finger because ultimately we're responsible for over exploiting our fish populations we're responsible for bycatch we're responsible for a lot um and ultimately like regardless of what country we live in animals don't see countries that's a total man-made concept like we've got to yeah. be working together to, to sort to sort this this thing out that we've created this nonsense demon. yes yeah, yeah. So, you know, we really have to we have to get on top of that and start working together and stop pointing the finger and pointing out who's to blame, because ultimately we're all to blame. This is all on all of our shoulders. Um, you know, we've got squalene on all of our hands and we've got to sort it out. Yeah, that's it. I mean, and on the flip side of us being to blame, there's something that we can all do to help. You know, mm-hmm. it's um, it's something that if we are complicit in something that we can also make the change to make it happen exactly. and exactly. Um, we can all be making other our friends family more aware of this issue we can be doing things like writing to our mps or putting these makeup lines on blast and being like hey look can you explain why that you are harvesting this oil from sharks to to put in this this moisturizer or whatever it is it is yeah, yeah it is our our duty is as guardians of this planet I think to to be a bit more outspoken and to be protecting animals that can't defend themselves and especially I'd feel yeah you're completely right there's nothing no really more villainous animal in the media than sharks really and undeservedly but they so. need our protection even more you yeah. know they need yeah. our help even more because of that because of the image that we've labeled them with yeah. they're not being persecuted and no one and it's being swept under the rug that's it if it was a baby panda that this oil was being taken from Every you know, people would be on there on Twitter. Wow, you've got bear oh, farming, and that's still that's, that's true. That's but, true. But, that's uh, that's such a good point as well. And I'll um uh, I'll link um, maybe some articles and things like that underneath the podcast description today, so we can people can learn a bit more about squalling because I think that's a really good point as well. The uh, the spiny dogfish certainly, and I've I've heard about the rock salmon, you know, miscommunication there, and I think that's quite. Um, maybe people have heard about that, but I I don't know too much about the the squalling. So I think that's really really fascinating and really really good that you've brought that up in any case Megan I've taken actually before we sign off I do want to talk about your book really really quickly because um it's coming out May 11th which as I said by the time this podcast is out it should be out and on the shelves where can you go find it yeah support your local bookshops all the way so you know go down to wherever you 
wherever your local bookshop is. Yeah. Um, it'd be in all the usual retailers, be in Waterstones and everything else. But um, yeah, support locally if you can and um, go to the bookshop.org. They do some really good stuff where you can order it online, but it will come from your local bookshop. So, you know, that's a really great, great way to kind of support local businesses as well. And yeah, I hope you, hope you enjoy it if you get it. <laughs> it sounds awesome. I'm so excited to get it and have a flick through. I know lots of zookeepers that are like, that is on my list of things to get when it comes out. So we are so excited to see what amazing animals are endangered and learn a bit more about their story because I mean we know some things as, as zoo people but we don't know everything it's always really good to learn and to keep up to date with what's going on in the planet and so that we can educate people a bit better yeah well it's all we're all learning all together all the time aren't we I don't far from know everything so it's all it's all a process this is amazing. and how long how long did it take you to put it all together uh two years two years mm. this is yeah. oh my god and it's coming out in three days time from this (laughs) that's so exciting oh my god in any case guys an atlas of endangered species comes out may 11th grab it grab it from your your local bookshop grab it online on did you say bookshop.org bookshop.org yeah excellent is there an audiobook of it have you recorded an audiobook there is an audiobook that'll be available on kindle as well oh my gosh you thought of everything megan you have been absolutely amazing today we are going to let you go and enjoy your evening this has been another episode of Arsehole Animals with Alice. I want to say a big thank you to my incredible guest, Megan McCubbin, for taking time out of her day to come and talk to me about sharks today, talk to you guys about sharks, and to educate us all a bit better on why they are amazing species that need to be protected at all costs. Um, I want to say a big thank you guys to uh, to the listeners for listening today. We hope you learned at least one thing about sharks. What one thing do you think you want people to learn about sharks today, Megan? I want people to know that they're curious and the majority of the time they're incredibly gentle. And when you're in the water with them, actually there is no more peaceful experience that you could have. The whole world fades away and you're just in awe of this beautiful animal that's swimming in front of you. And you realize actually just how special they are and how wrong people can be. I love that. Learn how wrong people can be and how amazing sharks are. That is an amazing takeaway. Thank you so much, Megan. Okay, everybody, remember, don't forget to put on sunscreen every day. Even if you live in England, your skin will thank you for it later. Drink plenty of water. And most importantly, don't be an arsehole. Bye. Thank you for listening to Arsehole Animals with Alice. Don't forget, you can support the podcast by heading over to Patreon to become a donor. Each donation you make helps me continue to make you laugh and learn about the arseholes of the animal kingdom. You can find me on patreon.com slash arseholeanimalswithalice. It's as simple as that. See you next time.